Welcome to How Public Works, Episode 3, a podcast about local government and how to inform the community on how things get done to benefit our living spaces and work towards creating sustainability in our world. As we will hear today, this is often done with support and engagement from passionate people within the community that care about the places we live in and how we choose to take care and take action in our world. Today, I have a special guest who is a key member of an organization called Don't Mess With The Dawn, a group of committed Torontonians who enjoy the vast trail system and natural environment of the Don Valley and want to take local action to protect and preserve this important natural space. Floyd Ruskin began with the project in 2018 and will tell us more about this group and their efforts and priorities. So, Floyd, Thanks, I'm more happy to be here. And thank you. So I want to ask you, can you tell us what you see as the most pressing threats to the Don River and its ecosystem? Well, um, that's a pointed question, but I would say uh, the population, <laughs> population growth throughout, throughout the watershed. Um, uh, as, mm-hmm. as we, pay, as we, we grow the city, uh, we grow our suburbs, we pay over, over more services. More per- paved surfaces lead to uh, more runoff and uh, increase the, the challenges uh, to uh, sewers and stormwater and uh, other infrastructure along the way. So uh, the, the population, yeah. along with the population growth, Along even the lower Don south of Steeles as well, but there's great consideration for uh, the Green Belt uh, north all the way to uh, our water source, which is uh, the Oak Ridges Moraine. And how about some history on the Don River, the Don Valley uh, itself? You know, it's, uh, that's a that's a phenomenal question because uh, up until about fifteen thousand years ago. Uh, we were covered, <clears throat> excuse me, we were covered with water uh, and or ice. And as the ice sheet melted, uh, peoples moved north and west from southern climes and settled along the north shore of uh, Lake Ontario. And um, mm-hmm. so we have First Nations people that were that have been in the area for eight to ten thousand years, uh, and people there are settlements along uh, along the Don Valley. Uh, uh, the Don Valley is it, very distinct because it didn't have permanent settlements. It had uh, seasonal settlements where uh, when uh, in, the, in the, uh, the fall when the salmon were running, there'd be people uh, gathering food from the river for, for the salmon. Uh, in the winter, uh, wow. yes, and yeah. seeing the uh, uh, from from encampments uh, above above the lake, you could look down in the valley and see wildlife migrating, and it made for easier hunting. The flats flats area made wow. for uh, planting of corn and uh, other agriculture as well. So, how did "Don't Mess with the Dawn" come about, and what's the sort of history and evolution of well, this that's, project? Well, that's uh, <laughs> that's the short that's the short history. Uh, about 2017. Uh, my colleague Lawrence Warner, who, uh, uh, in addition to his regular job with uh, the Toronto District School Board, uh, he's also an elite marathoner and leads uh, running groups. Oh, uh, Lawrence! Yes, Lawrence has uh, won the Brooklyn Marathon, and I believe he's competed in uh, 13 or 15 Boston marathons. So, out in the ravines, running, and just got tired of seeing the garbage everywhere. Starts picking up. Uh, yeah. Some of uh, pe- some of the people in his running group 
uh, our colleagues, Irene Vandertop and Sean Symes said, you know what, let me help you out. And they start picking up trash as well and form Don't Mess with the Dawn with one or two other people. They start engaging other people in the same thing. This is our space. We enjoy the nature. We enjoy the space. Why are we not taking care of it? And so from there, it morphed into let's engage more people. Let's uh, and get them out supporting us. And from small uh, cleanups, we've worked our way into uh, being more of a stewardship and advocacy organization. So, so tell us more about that. So the stewardship and advocacy, when someone hears the words, don't mess with the dawn, what sort of image do you want them to take away when, when these words come up in conversation or, you know, seeing your information? Well, on the internet? besides uh, people asking me who's Don, they find it uh, fairly uh, uh, adversarial, for, for lack of a better word, but we want that. It's, uh, you know what? This is, uh, don't mess is like, this is our space. Don't mess it up. And, and we move on from there. It's, it is particularly, uh, it is meant to be uh, aggressive. We, we want to take first steps. Uh, Ilmar, just, uh, just on the side, I've been with volunteer organizations yeah. a lot, uh, over the years, uh, specifically along the, uh, the Don River uh, uh, watershed. And uh, while there's a lot of great organizations, many of them do a lot of talking without doing any action. The with Don't Mess With The mm. Don is we're action first uh, and, and less talking. Reports are great. Reports are great. And, uh, uh, but uh, action is necessary as well. Well, and it's interesting you say that because I had a chance to look at some of your posts and stories on, on the, your Facebook page. And uh, impressive to see uh, uh, one photo that really impressed me was like uh, must have been at least 40 or 50 garbage bags just piled up along one of the, the right of ways or, or highways, you know, near the valley that, that you were collecting. And very impressive in the sense that, uh, you know, you guys are doing some good work. Well, out there. We're, the, we're, the, uh, we're the catalyst for, for the work. Uh, our, our neighbors and, and our members of our community that come out and work alongside us. Is our, they're the real heroes, right? Like, and, and that's uh, that's a big part of our message, is is that everybody has that in them. Uh, you could talk about the environment, you can talk about uh, uh, global climate change, but you have it in you to get out there and do it yourself. We organize people to come out and mm-hmm. do it, but we also encourage people to do it on their own if they're not comfortable with other people in a COVID environment. A lot of people don't want to. Uh, be uh, be involved or around other people. There's nothing that stops somebody from going out with a bag to their local schoolyard, to their local playground, to their local park, into the valley, and helping you know clean up our communities as well. Uh, I'm a big believer in individual yeah. responsibility. One thing that I saw that was interesting is this: uh, uh, there seems to be a lot of users, and I'll call them users. I mean, there's people that walk the valley, there's people that bike in the valley, and there's just runners, as you've described, naturalists. So do you find any synergies or collaborative opportunities or maybe even conflicts with some of these other groups? And I'm just thinking with some of the efforts that you might be focusing on, you know, like a like an, an off-road biking group might have different priorities or different needs. Um, any 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 sense of what that looks well, like? Well, every you? every user, uh, every user of the valley has their own ideal of of how it should be used. Our our friends and colleagues at the Toronto Field Naturalist, 
would I, I, I would believe would prefer it to be left in a, in a totally natural state. Uh, but the uh, the Don mm. the Don River Valley runs right up the center of, of the city, and as I had said previously, uh, there's uh, population growth along uh, along all its banks. So to keep uh, to keep people out is is an impossibility. So to engage the communities right. that that adjoin the valley is is a key priority uh, for that. Uh, mountain bikers, for an example, use the valley. There's a great great there's great trails holy cow there's great trails up and down the valley for runners for hikers for mountain bikers uh for naturalists for uh you know kids looking for frogs toads and snakes and wanting to build forts so the the challenge is how do you make uh how do you keep uh this wonderful natural environment uh in the best shape you can and uh and protect it are there things specifically that you you do as a group to target communities and, and, and get them excited and engaged and, you know, I guess really come out to the Valley and, and be there with you and the, and the other leaders within well, the Well, one of the first things we do is, is we, we look to, uh, to find if there's a community organization. And uh, the, the different communities within the Don watershed involve some of the wealthiest neighborhoods uh, and most affluent neighborhoods. Yeah and lowest density in, in our city, and some of the highest yeah. density and lowest income neighborhoods in the city. One thing I'll tell you from picking up from right. trash, uh, there's no distinction, social or economic distinction about who litters. It crosses all economic, uh, all economic and social boundaries. Uh, I live in Riverdale just off of uh, uh, Danforth Avenue. Um, walking walking yeah. to the store, I uh, come across, and it was early spring, and one of the planters hadn't been planted yet, and there were four uh, dog poop bags, three water bottles, and two coffee cups in the planter. Mm. Now, that in itself is not too bad. It's not on the ground. The challenge is that there was uh, a receptacle three paces away. And there was, a, there was a post that I was just reviewing on your Facebook page as well that spoke to, you know, there's the idea of going out and picking up the garbage, but then... You know, what can you do to, you know, re, uh, reinforce or increase education around garbage accumulation and just the fact that if we don't put it out there in the first place, just like you're saying, like, why is it going in a planter versus in the garbage container? Do you have anything that you do around that kind of advocacy to try and educate people on the value of, you know, it's almost like carry in, carry out or some other kind of programs or, or what's well, your thoughts around that? That one's kind of challenging because if, if you confront somebody who just dropped their Tim Hortons cup on the ground uh, instead of placing in the receptacle, uh, you could wind up with a bloody nose. So there's, there's the <laughs> challenge of, of how far to take, uh, with, uh, I don't want to use the word confrontation, but discussion. And, uh, but we see, mm -hmm. we see it all the time. Um, that last heavy rain we had, uh, I, I have a particular interest. Of, I walk the valley uh, whenever we have uh, heavy thunderstorms and things like that. And um, I took a, a video of uh, the water flowing under one of the bridges. And what looks like the flotsam and jetsam of, of, of the river valley sticks and, and other things. There's all these other things. But if you look really closely at it, uh, the majority of what you see floating down our river is cigarettes that have washed into our storm wow. drains, washed through the storm drains, and into our rivers and valleys. And it's not only the Don Valley, this is the island oh. region. 
or the Rouge or Etobicoke Creek, Etobicoke Creek, uh, Credit Valley, it, uh, Humber. It doesn't matter. We use our our waterways as waste disposal. Let me ask you then. Um, I understand and just confirm this if I don't have this correct, but. Back in January of this year, Toronto City Council approved, I think, an additional $2.7 million of funding to support a cleaning project for the Don and I guess it's, it's tributaries. Can you speak a little bit to that and how that helps you and, and how you are able to support? In uh, Janu- uh, January of, of 2020, um, uh, there was an uh, executive council meeting. Uh, I should, I'll take a step back. The ravine implementation okay. strategy uh, finally came to first to executive council and then to the full city council. Um, at the executive council, I believe there were 28 deputants uh, with don't mess with the Don being one of them. My colleague, Irene Vandertop did our, our, our presentation um, for us and did a phenomenal job of pointing out to executive council and the mayor of the amount of garbage that collects in our ravine. She also pointed out the fact we worked with uh, students at Ryerson to track where is it in one particular neighborhood where this garbage is actually is coming from. Is it people just dropping it on the ground? Where does it come from? Well, in this particular neighborhood, most of it was windblown trash, plastic bags, candy wrappers, chip bags, those those kind of things. And what the students found out was that it came from uh, the waste disposal in the uh, apartment buildings. Uh, That the lids uh, were not fastened properly or when the truck came to pick pick up the litter and dump it into the truck, uh, a lot of, uh, quite a bit escaped. And until maintenance came and swept it up, the tops of, of, of our river valleys are quite windy. It blows down, gets stuck in the trees, it works its way down into uh, to the soil. And eventually those plastics do break down into microplastics and wash into the river and into the lake and into the ocean. So this, this was part of the Don't Mess With the Dawn presentation that, that I redid. And um, as I said, it was a phenomenal job. And it caught the attention of the, the full executive committee. And they asked more questions of Irene Vandertop than anybody. Uh, because they were, they were thrilled. Wow. My counselor in Seattle said, that happened in my neighborhood, too. So uh, from there, yeah. um, with full endorsement of the executive council for the funding, it went to city council, and with the number of motions uh, by, by various councils, that, again, was passed unanimous. One of the challenges for that right now is that um, uh, COVID and the city financial challenge so we'll have to see where the funding goes for uh the ravine strategy which with which had a big focus on litter cleanup and stewardship activities again engaging more citizens in taking care of uh our environment and it's i'm not it's not it's the ravine strategy for the city uh not not just the don valley and so, you know, when, when you describe that journey, it, it's very exciting to me from a couple of fronts. I mean, one, and I'm sure it was a lot of work and a lot of frustration to get to that point where you're actually in front of city council, money's on the table, and there's, you know, there's people, there's councillors listening and actually supporting where you're at. I'm assuming there was a lot of time and effort spent and a lot of, you know, tense moments around your groups all trying to rally around this initiative. 
you know, speak a little bit about that because that's really a, a really underlying theme about how public works. It's not so much just city council saying, yes, here's some money. It's people like yourself, Floyd, and, and those in your, in your circles that are actually driving the agenda, bringing the attention to councillors. How do you feel about that? How, you know, that whole political advocacy, how does that role feel to you? And well, I, I think the it? advocacy is an important part of what we do. Uh, you know, we can go pick up garbage on, on our own. We can gather people to do it. But and, until we can uh, engage uh, our communities and our neighbourhoods uh, into doing it, uh, um, it like, people become dependent on, on, on government to do these kind of things. Uh, resources are always good. Mm-hmm. They really are. I'll give you an example. Don't mess with the Don goes where, like, okay, city workers clean up parks, and they do a terrific job. They've, they've supported us uh, throughout the Don Valley system backwards and forward. But we actually take our volunteers where the city doesn't go, which are the steeper slopes, uh, the more inaccessible areas, uh, the more naturalized areas, uh, uh, and, and work, from, work from there. So, uh, but just, just to be clear, we were not the only ones that made a presentation at, at the city council. Yes. There was 20, I, I think I said it was 28. There were some wonderful groups there. Uh, uh, Toronto Ravine Revitalization Science was there. And uh, uh, we're, we've become part of, uh, of, of a stewardship group along with them. But the advocacy, the constant communication that this is our green space, we're responsible for it, we can take care of it, I think is, is the message. Uh, so the advocacy mm-hmm. is critical to mm-hmm. any success we're going to have. Well, and this is why I think this is what's really driven me to do this project around, around sharing these wonderful stories because really it's getting people to step up, take responsibility and engage in their own way to move bigger, you know, bigger initiatives forward. And, and that it, it just sounds really wonderful that such a large group of, of advocates, of, of organizations were able to rally and actually garner almost $3 million of funding. That's, that's, that's a huge success. Regardless of where it goes from here, you're right. I guess there's challenges to, sit, to come forward. Tell me more about sort of the dawn. And, and I'm thinking around its history and, and impacts of industrialization and urbanization and like, what are the scars of the valley? What's what's happened in there that nobody well, sees anymore? You know, since the uh, 1700s, and this is uh, uh, British colonization and how long, uh, and settling of uh, what was in uh, uh, Fort York, then York, and then um, eventually Toronto. Uh, the watershed has undergone really profound changes from crystal clear stream with a source uh, up towards the uh, Oak Ridges moraine. Most of industrial activities along its banks from sawmill, from, you know, uh, like a source of power. We don't, we don't recognize that today, yeah. except if you see the Hoover Dam or, or a hydroelectric dam somewhere, that this is a source of immense power and energy. So um, yeah. these activities uh, along its banks, sawmills, uh, cattle processing, uh, late in 19th century uh, petroleum storage has resulted in this, like a major changes in the chemical, biological, and, and the function of the river. Once complex mm-hmm. and, and rich wildlife community, uh, really is, is the biodiversity is less. The, uh, the, the watershed it encompasses somewhere like 35, 38,000 hectares of land. It's, it's absolutely huge. 
And, you know, there's uh, almost a million and a half people living along along the Don in the Don watershed. You know, and people don't think every time you flush a toilet or, or have a glass of water or wash the car in your driveway or or one of those things, what the effect of that water, that water has to go somewhere. What do we do with that water? Well, gravity has plays a big big role and moves it downhill, but downhill is is is, uh, is to the lake. Well and and with that, are there interesting stories that you can share about the dawn i mean you've been involved for a while and i'm sure you've been involved even longer as as, as a resident of this city do you have anything about uh, lost treasures or or uh, natural uh, features that you know want to let be of people interest? know that uh, there's one million dollars in gold coins buried in the in the dawn no i'm just kidding uh <laughs> yeah. there you go That's you know what one. i just thought of people out <laughs> God, what did I do? Uh, no, uh, the, 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 you know, uh, Ilma, the treasure to me is is the is the, the green space and the wildlife and the action and and you know, like I said earlier, I walk along the river one after the big rain because I, I like the the feel and the power of the of a, what a real river feels like because most of the time it's it's, it's a slow moving brown stream. But uh, but mm-hmm. that water that comes down is is not the natural flow of the river because we pay, we paved over so much of it due to the our extensive urbanization and the increase in in the, all our paved surfaces which include rooftops and, and everything else um, there are fewer opportunities yeah. for stormwater to seep into the ground it has to go somewhere and yeah. what it, where it does is it invades our river streams, creeks, and brooks. And in a lot of cases, in most cases, it, it works its way into the lake untreated. So, you, and you spoke about diversity and sort of that ecosystem. Um, speak to me, if you can, about the invasive species issues or challenges that might be happening within the Well, it's a, I got to think how many fingers I have. Uh, dogs trying to find garlic mustard, <laughs> pragmites, uh, Japanese knotweed, uh, burdock, uh, just, to, just to name a few. They're, they're not native plants. Uh, one of the, the challenges that Don't Mess With the Dawn has taken on as we singled out one, and that's called Dog Spring. People who drive up and down the parkway okay. across the 401, or even looking in their gardens in central Toronto, can find dog strangling vine in, in their in their gardens, or up along their roadways, okay. or uh, in, in our woodlands. It's extremely uh, pervasive, invasive, and and aggressive, and uh, it, it crowds yeah. out. This particular plant crowds out uh, native plants. Um, it, uh, in the fall, it mimics uh, a milkweed. Uh, if, if you're not familiar, uh, monarch butterflies use milkweed to uh, uh, to to, uh, right. to drop their larvae on. There's there's no nutrition in uh, dog strangling vines, so uh, the the, uh, the the butterfly larvae do not become viable and grow into future monarchs, uh, which reduces our pollinator population. But it also has this other unique quality that we're cha- it, it has it makes a change in the chemical composition of the soil. And while I'm not a biologist, I think it increases the calcium level where uh, to to a level where a native plant uh, can't grow. So we've chosen an area to be uh, adopted an area mm-hmm. in a part of the Don Valley called Sun Valley to be uh, comprehensive stewards. And we're working on one area. Okay. To try. 
and beat back this plant. We look at it as a long-term project. This thing is really, really yeah. aggressive and resilient. And what are the strategies to try to, uh, well, we've, to we've keep it at bay? Well, we've looked at uh, best practices from Toronto Botanical, uh, Botanic Gardens, from uh, Ministry of Natural Resources, uh, even even some of the utilities. Uh, because, you know, Metrolinks has it along their tracks. Hydro has it under their hydro wires. They're allowed to, I, they spray, which uh, I'm not a big believer in, a, in an herbicide. But the best practice is to dig it out, right out, and dispose of it. Wow. Uh, not in your compost, not in your green bin in garbage, eliminated. The, the challenge is we can't dig up southern Ontario. Yeah, so then your strategy, this long-term strategy involves sort of me as a walker? Or? If you continue to cut it back, cut it back, cut it back, cut it back, break it back, it weakens the plant and uh, reduces the growth. The other thing is to keep it from seeding. Gotcha. I believe a square meter of dog strangling pie will produce 26 or something like 26,000 uh, seeds for the next season. Wow. So you can see the, uh, wow. the astronomical growth, how quickly it can evolve. Yeah. So yeah. we need to keep breaking it down and beating it down. Um, one of our volunteers calls it whacking the dog. I love that. And see what happens. We'll have to do it again next year and maybe even the season after that. But all our work is eliminating a certain amount of seeds for next year. Mm-hmm. The funny thing is we're getting to the end of the season where those seed pods are going to start to open. We won't be able to do anything any longer. Right. We'll just be able to clear the ground that we've already cleared and keep weakening those plants. But, uh, you know, two weeks with rain and sun in August, it's, am- it's amazing the growth of oh, yeah. this. We haven't found any use for, for the, you can't use it for cattle fodder. Uh, there's no use for dog strangling vine. And and this is this sounds like a perpetual battle. It's I mean, a, it sounds. A, I mean, I, I don't want to say Southern futile. Argue, like, but, from from yeah. to London um, and South is probably in uh, the uh, you know the uh, northern United States as well because of windblown seeds. Uh, when the pods open up, it, it uh, they kind of it, 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 they blow around like dandelion seeds. It's this silky little white fluff uh, along that carry the seeds along. Uh, they'll grow in darker areas. They'll grow in full, full sun, shade. It doesn't matter. And now, now when you when you um, when you have field trips and educational outreach programs, Floyd, do you sort of educate the people that come with you on these walks as to what's happening? Because you can walk through a river system or a valley and look around, and say, "Wow, this is beautiful green space," but that green could be you know, some of these invasive species, right? So is that education happening as you walk? 100%. And other uh, colleagues and partners uh, within the ravine system uh, do, do the same thing. We, you know, we, we look you know, as, as, as stewards of our valley, the Don Valley, but we also look at we're stewards of, of the environment as well and, and care about what yeah. happens in uh, Cedarvale Ravine or the Humber Ravine or, or rouge, or it, it doesn't matter. And if, if we can find a technique that actually works, which we haven't, then we're, we're very happy to, 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 to share it. But sharing the knowledge uh, makes it, you know, more recognizable. The biggest post we had on Facebook was uh, of everything we've done has been about dog strangling by, by, by a factor of 10. You know, it's it's also you know um, it's protecting what's healthy now. 
hopefully regenerating what is what's degraded as long uh, along the way as well because there's very there's a lot of yeah. degraded areas where uh, the uh we've got our, you know our valleys and our streams and our creeks have been uh, across the city have been filled in they've been filled in with garbage the edges of the ravines were garbage dumps um and, you know our cleanups For sure, uh, yes covered just about everything an industrial society can produce uh, and we've had to drag it out of the valley um, you know a couple of our least favorite things yeah, yeah. tires in a river and shopping carts uh, very difficult to carry up a, a steep ravine slope so I'm gonna I'm gonna just maybe just go in a little bit different direction for a second and just talk a little bit about the work that the city of Toronto is doing with sort of the stormwater and wastewater collection system and a project that they've called the Don River and Central Waterfront Project. So from what I understand, taking a look at some of the information that's available, $3 billion project looking at reducing combined sewer overflow, which is, you know, those events where our sewer system has happens to be working with a storm sewer system in, in a combined state, one pipe doing both services, heavy rains, water, goes into the storm sewer and into the river. So this whole project, I understand, is to separate these sewers to, to ensure that the sanitary waste, the stuff that comes out of our houses, goes to the treatment plants and the storm sewer goes to the rivers where it can be conveyed without uh, any contaminants. Big project, lots of activity. I know you have a lot of interest in it. What's your perspective on this project? And, and any, well, any there's, thoughts about where it's going? Yeah, I do, I do have an interest because like the... The city has, has finally found a way to uh, to improve the the water quality of of the of the Don, especially the the, the pro. You know, you know, you touched on the fact mm. that we have in the city of the old city of Toronto. There's a lot of combined sewers and uh, and heavy uh, heavy rain flows. Um, mm. uh, the wastewater and stormwater flow in, yeah. into the yeah. same thing into the same place overwhelms the uh, sewage treatment plants yeah. and run, or and then, or runs unabated into uh, in, into the river uh, the entire system yeah. which which has three phases uh, one across the uh, uh, the central waterfront would be at uh, just north of the lakeshore uh, another will be in the future will be Taylor Massey Creek which anybody walks uh, along Taylor Massey Creek yeah, the first thing you notice is not the water, but you notice the smell. But also uh, uh, the Don River, the, the mm. Don, uh, the Don River as well, and uh, that's about a ten-kilometer tunnel from Ashbridge's Bay to Coxwell Ravine Park, and it will uh, eventually uh, all the smaller uh, connector uh, stormwater will will connect to this great big large tunnel. But the really, to me, the real one of the really big cool things about it that there's these 12 great giant storage tanks. So when we have all this water, the tunnel fills up with water. These, oh, okay. these storage tanks fills up with water. So the wa so when the, uh, uh, the weather event subsides, uh, the water could be released in a, in a controlled manner to be treated at Ashbridge's Bay before being released mm -hmm. in, into, uh, into Lake Ontario. Uh, there's so many, so many points to this. They're, they're also building uh, at, at Ashbridge's Bay uh, a state-of-the-art uh, water treatment system that that doesn't uh, that uses ultraviolet, uh, which is much more environmentally friendly, and much, it turns out to be much more uh, effective as well. And uh, and they're also extending effective. the uh, mm -hmm. the outlet yeah. pipe. I believe it's three and a half kilometers 
further out into the into the lake. So the water quality throughout the central yeah. part of the city uh, should be improved. Hopefully, they'll get out to to our friends and neighbors in the Black Creek, Lavender Creek, Humber River area, and uh, and help Sophie like in the future because that watershed has the same challenges as as the Don. But I guess it's one section at a time. Yeah, right yeah. now, they're working on the, what's called the Coxwell Bypass from uh, Ashbridge's Bay to uh, Coxwell Ravine Park, which is kind of where the forks of the Don, uh, like for, for those who drive up and down the parkway, about where Don Mills Road and, and the Don Valley Parkway be. Well, and, and what I find very fascinating with this project and, and the drive behind it is, you know, is, is the waterfront, right? I mean, the fact that our water quality along the, the waterfront of Toronto was becoming so degraded that, that we were, you know, we were recognized internationally as one of the hotspots for, uh, you know, for urban areas. So uh, I think you're right. Kudos to the city for making this investment and, and long-term vision. And the benefits seem to be emerging in a slow but, but steady state, right? So as an engineer, I'm, I'm proud of, of the, the technical feat of this, but also as a, you know, as a citizen, the political will to make it happen. So, and I'm glad that you're, you know, you're also very much involved because it's this infrastructure that adds to, I think what you're trying to well, do is it's, it's as, a, as project, an engineer, so it's like a number of uh, very successful projects. Uh, some not successful. Everybody that's been along the Don, the Don Narrows, uh, <laughs> the Andering uh, River, uh, with its <laughs> Delta and that emptied into a marsh is it's channelized. Um, uh, I don't even know what you call it. Water course isn't a river, but yeah. and the challenges. Uh, of course, people have experienced flooding along uh, along the Don Valley Parkway, along Bayview Ave. Tra- uh, go trains flooded. Uh, we've all seen we've all seen those news news reports. But uh, you know what, Ilmar? What, one thing you you know you, as an engineer, yes. you're like is the uh, the landform that surrounds Corktown Commons. It protects the pretty, it protects the pretty well uh, yeah. the downtown core, west downtown core, it's West Donlands area, uh, from from, uh, from uh, regulatory flood, which would be like a hur- uh, hurricane hazel type of thing. But then that leads Haze, to yes. uh, the, our, the newest project at the mouth of the Don. And uh, one of my colleagues called it, hey, Don, you've got a big mouth because they're widening the mouth of the Don and naturalize the flow. Uh, one of those engineering projects that wasn't successful because of politics and economics was that uh, sharp right turn that the, uh, the Don River crossed Keating Channel into Toronto Harbor. Mm-hmm. And here's the cool part. They're creating a heck of a lot of parkland as well. You know, that, that extends our river parkland from, uh, from Lake Ontario all the way up, uh, up north. Toronto Region Conservation Authority too has a very, very uh, large oh of, in of this course uh, place, right? Toronto Region Conservation Authority to my knowledge owns the uh, uh, the the river va- the river valleys city uh, of Toronto I believe they're the steward yeah. and the city manager yeah, they're the steward uh, manages that, that property on behalf of TRCA the Portland's project is a uh, is uh, three levels of government city of Toronto. Uh, TRCA, uh, Waterfront Toronto, and the federal government as well. But, uh, so, uh, if if people have uh, you know you want to find out more, uh, check check it out on Waterfront Toronto. They actually do a pretty good job of showing their progress and what the uh, the project will look like. 
I have a question for you now, Floyd, and this is for you to reach out to the community and really what's your call to action? If you had something that you wanted people to take uh, I, I believe I said it earlier. So I, th- I, I think the, the key to success, uh, environmental success, is individual responsibility. That we all have it inside ourselves to get out there and take charge. Uh, you don't have to go to a massive march downtown to, to, uh, to make a point. You could do something in your neighborhood. Uh, like I had said earlier, clean up a schoolyard, uh, parkland, take your kids, take your neighbors, clean up your street. You know what? Uh, you know, to, to sweep, sweep your sidewalk or, or something like that. If you like to be with, with more people or, yeah. or in an organized thing, well, you can contact Don't Mess With Don on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter, or, or, or us at uh, info at Don't Mess With nice. the Dawn. And uh, we'll be happy to, to assist you however we can in, in maybe stewardship events in, in your own community. Uh, we prefer to be in the Dawn, but you know what? If you're calling me from Black Creek, uh, or you're sending me an email from Black Creek, I'm going to do my best to help you as well. We've just chosen to, to put our efforts uh, to work locally. And uh, we all live uh, either on or yes. close to the to, to the valley and this is where we've chosen to put our efforts but we'll help we'll support people uh elsewhere i know irene and i have both been to numerous uh, uh waterfront uh, cleanups uh, run by another organization and it's what you do if you care about the environment well and what's and what's so beautiful about your call to action is it's it's really what this this podcast is all about right it's it's affecting local change to make our communities better safer more livable and really you're right we need to take individual action and this is about us right and this and you're doing this you're a you're a, a keen example of, well, of that you. kind of effort and where it can take us well floyd i, I think um we are coming close to the end of our, our conversation and i want to thank you so much for your patience and I really know that, you know, the work that you're doing is bringing a lot of value to the city. And I'm really honored to be able to share this story with the community and be part of how, you know, you're making this a better place for us. And for that, I want to thank you so much. We're at, uh, at uh, www.don'tmesswiththedon, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.